Hello and welcome to the Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Dr. Bukowski. And um, Dr. Bukowski is a doctor from Northern Virginia. In 1994, he founded Tepiac OBGYN in Fairfax, Virginia, which is committed to serving all women regardless of their beliefs, background, or financial situation. And in 2000, he founded Divine Mercy Care, which raises funds to cover the cost of prenatal care for any of Tepiac's pregnant patients who are in financial need, and also to help educate the coming generation. Inspire, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's good to be here with you today, Doctor. Colleen, it's absolutely wonderful to be here with you all. Okay, so let's just jump right in. So you're a doctor. What caused you to like want to be a doctor, especially an OBGYN originally? So uh, I grew up in a, uh, a large Catholic family, and uh, we had 61st cousins, but only about 10 of us went to college. And so my older cousin, who became my psychological older brother, he wanted to go into medicine. And uh, over time, I had a knack for listening to women, and I was really good at uh, helping them manage their PMS, believe it or not, just by listening. They were like living books talking to me. And so I think I went into medicine because I scored well on an exam, because I'm a history guy. I'm a history major. Um, I like the liberal arts, and yet here I am an OBGYN. That's why I went into medicine. It was, you know, it was just kind of God's uh, serendipitous way. Okay. And then um, you used to be an abortionist, I believe, right? Can you talk a little bit about yeah, sure. so, why and your conversion, all of that whole? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I've been practicing medicine, uh, Colleen, for about 35 years. The first seven years, meaning the four years of medical school, and then the first two years of my residency, that's a four-year residency, I was very much pro-choice. Now, uh, I, and I grew up in a wonderful Catholic family. We said the rosary every morning. I was dedicated to the mother of God. I'm 62, a little older than you. But um, growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, Salesian High School and a Jesuit college, I learned about uh, situational ethics, relativism, uh, no objective reality, many paths to God, so to speak. I learned about world religions. I never learned about, I was never formed in my Catholic faith. My mom and dad trusted that to the educational system. Mm -hmm. So by listening to young women there, uh, of course, they wanted to have sex and they wanted to have abortion as a backup to failed contraception. And so once I realized that they were teaching me about, um, they were teaching me through their words and through their actions that they needed contraception and abortion. Well, once I figured out that I was really going to become a OBGYN, forget the ideology, I wanted to be the best I could be. And so in modern day today, you contracept women from 12 to 50, you then provide hormones for them from 50 to 70, and you just stop that uh, chemical control um, just to have them have babies. And usually that means one and a half babies because, you know, you know there's overpopulation today, so we don't want more than two, and uh, one is better. And so that's what's taught. Children are sexually transmitted diseases. You stamp out fertility because fertility is a chain around the neck of patients. That's what I was learning. And um, yeah, so once again, it's not ideology, uh, young lady. I mean, I, you got to do it. Like, 
if you're pro-life, you better help pregnancy centers. You better really speak and act in such a way that you really participate in providing women a real alternative. If you're pro-choice, you damn well better do abortions because there's very, you know, abortionists are getting older and they're getting fewer and fewer. You know, my question after I converted, I'm like, hey, if it's so good, why don't more of us do it? Mm. Well, it's because it's brutal. We can talk about that in a minute. But so a lot of people, I don't do abortions personally, but I'll refer them to my friend. That was what your idea was. This is what, no, no, no. My idea was to do them. I wanted to do them because you want to be a good doctor. Yeah. So that was what? Yes. But all my friends that I would see, they wouldn't do them. They referred them to somebody else. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You have to be authentic. Once you're filled with something, you have to do it. It's like going from, once I found my faith again, it's like going from Nazareth to Ina Karim with Elizabeth. Mm. You want to do the visitation. You want to, you. And so there I was learning how to end the life of first, second, and third trimester fetuses inside their moms. And it was just part of the medical training. If you had a sick baby, you ended the life because of it's just incompatible with a quality life because it's abortion on demand at any time for any reason. Mm-hmm. This is not like, oh, we only do them. In... So that's where I was. And I was now far away from my family and uh, far away from my faith. Mm-hmm. And I was living this. Well, what made you come back to the faith? Well, um, many things. Mm -hmm. God's a funny dude, as I say. (laughs) Um, So my mom and dad never stopped praying for me, even though they knew what I was doing. God rest their soul. They they lived with my wife and I. My wife, Carolyn, is is a saint. Uh, They lived in our home, my mom and dad. He was a school teacher in New Jersey at the high school I was at. He really believed. He believed in Don Bosco, John mm-hmm. Bosco. He believed in the church. He believed in the Constitution. Well, you know, me, I, you know, that meant that I was going to fall away from the faith and become a communist, which I did. And um, there I was, uh, there praying for me. And imagine all of the Human Life International, imagine the days of Paul Marx, mm-hmm. getting people all over the world to pray for conversion, the ripple effect of that, that goes through time and space. Mm-hmm. Human Life International, right? Think of all the other older folks we know in their 70s and 80s. I'm 62, so the 70, 80, 90-year-olds, they prayed. They didn't. Many of them died before Roe got flipped, but they still trusted and believed. So they prayed for people like myself. And so what happened was I go to Guadalupe with a friend. By this point, I'm a nothing and um, I go up and I see the tilma because I know about it because it's intellectual. So it's still somewhere in my cortex because I remember what my parents told me about Juanito and the tilma. My son, do not fear any illness, vexation, anxiety, or pain. Am I not your mother? Are you not in the crossing of my arms? Are you not in the folds of my mantle? Am I not your fountain of life? Didn't I give you my son what else do you need? Those words came in, but they kind of stayed up here. They didn't go to my heart. And so 
I heard while I was there, why are you hurting me? Mm. I blew it off. My heart was already, this was after medical school, before residency. Mm -hmm. I was already on that path. I was already believing in science. And oh, this was just the beer talking from lunch. <laughs> it was hot, sweaty. There's all these people there. What the hell are they doing here? Praying. Well, to the mother. I knew it was my mother, but I cognitive dissonance. So I go to my residency and there I am. It's a contraceptive research and development center at Eastern Virginia School of Medicine, the home of the Jones Institute for Reproductive Medicine, contraceptive research and development. We were building IUDs at the time that we would just slip in after the birth. Can you imagine? Baby comes out, we put the IUD in because you can't trust people. You can't trust young people. And so you contracept them, IUD. Mm -hmm. So we were in the midst of this. I was learning this, but I wasn't an abortionist. I want, I want people to understand that if you refer for abortions, you're part of the abortion movement as a doctor. It's just as good as me ending that life referring for that. So when I say I did abortions and I was an abortionist, no, I do. I wasn't dedicated to abortion. Abortion was just part of good health care, right? Okay. And that's where it gets us to today. Elective abortion is good health care. We can talk about that. But I was there and I'm in a room on labor and delivery during my second year, saving a baby's life that was trying to deliver early. The mother wanted the baby. So I was doing everything I could medically, chemically, biochemically, gravitationally to keep the baby in. Mm -hmm. In the next room, the mother didn't want it. So I was just breaking the water, getting it over with. The baby comes out. They were both about 22 weeks, or I thought. Back then in 1989, uh, the viability was about 26, 27 weeks. Okay. I picked up the kid, or it, and I threw it on the scale, threw it on the scale. I usually would have caught it in a bucket and put a towel over it. That's how you know you know the mercy of God which we, we can talk about in a minute. But I was that callous. Wow. Because you don't want to hurt the mother. You don't want her to engage the child because that's scary and bad. And you never, as providing abortion, you always, don't ever use the word, distance it. Ma'am, you're doing great. Colleen, you had to do this. I understand. Colleen, I really do understand. I can help you. Break the water, pit it out. It's okay. Don't worry about it mistake. I, they shouldn't want to hold it. I didn't want it to cry. Threw it on the scale, 505 grams. Hit the, hit the button for the nursery to come in and save the baby now. Talk about mind blown. Why oh, was that distinction? Why would the nurse... Because in the state of Virginia, over 500 grams, guess what? Uh, it's a baby. It's not a thing. Wow. It's a 500 gram cutoff. That's it. Well, this baby was older than I thought. I didn't take a good history. She didn't want it, so I got rid of it. The nurse, the NICU doctor, the neonatal intensive care nurse, uh, the neonatal intensive care doctor, Dr. Debbie Plum, just walked in and goes, hey, Bruchowski, stop giving me a tumor. You're treating the, my patient as a tumor. What? 
she had the guts enough to gently but directly confront me. Tomorrow, cup of coffee. Okay. She was, we, I, I looked up to her. Smart, bright, articulate, strong woman. She comes back and she says, hey man, I see your patients line up at your clinic. Those women love coming to you. You really listen to them. Your high risk skills, incredible. You think outside the box, you go the extra mile, you visit patients at home, you do house calls. But this, there's two patients there, John. Wake up. Oh, by the way, I just got back from a place called Medjugorje. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. What, I don't even believe anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm going to an evangelical church. And oh, by the way, I'm working at a pregnancy center at night. God's a funny dude. Because something wasn't right. My heart was getting hardened. And I just went, oh, you're driving down to the beach? Pregnancy Resource Center. Okay. You know, people praying to Jesus, holding, oh, no, the Holy Spirit's going to bring people in and we're going to provide services for them and give them an option. And they did. So during the daytime, I'm doing all sorts of things. And at night, I'm there. And I'm beginning to kind of maybe gravitate towards the evangelical Bible, scripture-based, faith alone. But in that room, she says, I went to Medjugorje. I, I, that's not for me. Two days later, my mother says, oh, by the way, do you want to go on a trip for your winter break? Where? Oh, Yugoslavia. Oh, really? Where? Dubrovnik. She didn't say. Then she goes, oh, Medjugorje. I booked some, I booked some things for us through the communist tour group. Okay, I'll go, as long as it's communist. Get off the bus. Things began to happen. Get on the hill. Deep in prayer, I encounter the sacred and immaculate hearts. Prayer. Real. A young woman talks to me about my life, and she knows who I am, even though she's from Belgium. She was given some word of knowledge. I write down a few things, I, I pray, and I'll be darned if uh, I began to see. The mother said, Johnny, be excellent in what you do. See the underserved daily and follow the teachings of my son's church in scripture and tradition. And you will be an instrument in the renewal of the face of the earth in medicine. Scales come off your eyes, the heaving sobs of that little baby that was about maybe this big. The mercy of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, go show yourself to the priest. I'm a leper. I'm a poster child for my body, my choice. Even though I'm not a woman, I provided that service. In that moment, I knew deep in my heart, this is my body given up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what real healing is. That's what real medicine is. It's Eucharistic. I came off that hill knowing deep down inside that the teachings of the Catholic Church on this issue were, were it. It. And I went to confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been decades since my last confession. I tore, about, I tore apart a baby last week. I'm a racist. I sterilized people because they were just poor. 
and not my skin color. New wineskin? <laughs> Sacraments are real. Scripture is alive. The cloud of witnesses is real. I think what Human Life International was trying to do for all these years really says something. And so I go to confession. I come back. I talk to my Hey, Dr. Jones, I can't do this anymore. Oh, you found Jesus, she says. Just keep it quiet. Don't spread it. <laughs> and so I became administrative chief resident. Many of the young doctors stopped. Um, you know, they, started, they got a little courage to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. There's got to be a better way. Two patients. And uh, so my wife and I then uh, got married. We then started Tepeyac OB-GYN in 1994. Long story, but uh, powerful. Well, yeah, it, it shook me up, yeah, in a good way. And you're because I was in the slop. Yeah, and you're writing a book on that, right? Right, right, right. Through Ignatius Press, uh, coming out in October. Okay. It's called Two Patients: From Abortion to Life Affirming Medicine. So, if any of our listeners want to check it out, that's going to be coming out. Oh, please do, and give it to. Um, medical students, residents, uh, I think it's just going to be a decent read. It, it's really meant to be unifying and to, and to spread the joy that I found in my conversion. That it really wasn't mine. Like It happened to me because people were praying. You know, so it's hopeful. It's an opportunity, you know, especially now with Dobbs changing the landscape of Roe. We now have an opportunity after 50 years of believing that abortion, elective abortion, which is the direct killing of the unborn child in the womb of their mother, is good medicine. Wrong answer. There's ways to do it because Tepiak OBGYN for the last 28 years has been doing it. We started out as for profit. We now have gone not for profit. Why? Because we must partner with pregnancy centers. When I met Mother Teresa, she invited me to Calcutta. And I said, Mother, I'm serving in the wealthiest county, maybe in the history of the world, Fairfax and, you know, uh, Fauquier and um, that county just west of us, Northern Virginia, yeah. D.C. area. And I'll be darned. I said, I want to see the least, meaning the women in crisis pregnancies, but I also want to speak to people who are really wealthy, but are also not on board. Mm -hmm. And she says, oh my gosh, you're bringing Calcutta to Northern Virginia. You just stay there, Johnny. And she hugged me, my wife, my mom and dad, and my, my two boys. And it was, she gave me this mission. She squeezed me and just let me go. And the practice of OBGYN, you can practice excellent medicine by listening to your patients, by treating fertility as part of the human wonder of the feminine genius, mm -hmm. collaborating with it. Children are not sexually transmitted diseases. They're gifts. But the world has gone so bonkers that they, many times, they're in bad relationships. And I think when you engage people at the truth level, heart to heart, as Francis de Sales talks about, corad core. The sacred heart of Jesus, which is mercy, mm -hmm. and the immaculate heart that 
accepted him dead on the cross, that's merciful love. The combination of those hearts is what we do in medicine. Medicine is an act of mercy. Health is really relational. It's sacrificially relational. There's ways you can talk like this. And through Students for Life, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was at 60 medical schools. Health is relational. Medicine's an act of mercy. Hate the disease, but love the patient. And collaborating in a community, you bring resources together where you make abortion unwanted and children welcomed. Forget the laws. I mean, that's above me. That's around me. I, you know, you do the best you can with what you've got. And so now Dobbs has changed, you know, it's brought back to the states. So we still have to talk about it. And we can keep saying the word abortion. Elective abortion is not health care. And I think we can do that gently with love and meet people where they're at because this generational curse or sin thinking that, you, that you're going to be happy by ending the life of the child inside of you. And now we have to give hormones to the little boys to make them little girls because that's what they want at the age of 12 or 7. That's where we are today. Mm-hmm. That's why we need people to stand up like Human Life International, like Tepiak OBGYN, but also Divine Mercy Care. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like where we are right now. Wow, it's so true. I've never thought of medicine being relational and being mercy before, but I really, I like that comparison. Because now we are, I, I can talk about mercy, uh, uh, medicine as mercy, which is, um, which is ecologic. I mean, it's good for this, it's good for the body. It's green. <laughs> it's also good for diversity because it treats everybody equally because we're all part of the human family. So it's equitable. And so these words that have been used, equity, diversity, and ecology, I actually think our method of approach to that is actually healthier than the other side because it's based on personalism. Mm -hmm. The woman becomes part of the human family. Now, in a religious context, it's the Our Father. In a scientific context, it's the family of the genetics. You can go to that one-cell stage, and you can use 23andMe and predict the future. Genetically. Scientifically. But once again, at the University of Virginia, a young man comes up to me 10 years ago now and says, Dr. Prochowski, do you really believe life be- human life begins at fertilization? I said, Yes. He said, without batting an eyelash, you're the first doctor. He was a fourth-year OBGYN resident. So once again, if you think the science is settled, don't use that. Don't use that phrase. Science is settled is a political phrase. Abortion is a political idea. It's a social experiment that was pushed on the leadership of my American College of OBGYN. It's political. The books changed all of a sudden. The science didn't change, but the books changed in 1973. Why? Because it was now legal and we, it was a right. It became a right. So it's a political issue on that end. But the science, whenever you hear that, it's usually somebody trying to trump somebody. 
And that's why it's a challenge. It's a matter of the heart. It's to move, as you know, Colleen, those 18 inches from your cortex to your ventricles. That's what the cloud of witnesses talk about. I want mercy, not sacrifice. And that's what medicine is. It's just like housing the homeless or clothing the naked. We can actually, at Tepiac, we figured out how to combine social justice with the gospel of life, the fullness of the Catholic faith, the fullness of scripture, the fullness of tradition. And I think it speaks volumes for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. It also is a threat, but I think we can build unity and it's hopeful. So. I, I love that. That's great. What has it been like running the pro-life women's clinic um, at Tepeyac? Mm. What is that? What's your experience been like there? So we've made every mistake in the book. <laughs> and I think it was to keep us humble. Now, the essence of like um, one of my friends, Dr. Dan Fisk, who's a member, I believe, of the Church of Christ. Okay. Um, he was, uh, and this is a story he tells, so it's not, um, he would come home from his other practice and take a shower before he hugged his kids because he felt he was committing uh, sins through helping young girls fornicate. Mm-hmm. Scripture is not really strong on fornication. And as OBGYNs, what do we do? The wages of sin are death. He died on a cross once and for all. And here he is pumping hormones into 12 and 18-year-olds, not telling their parents. It's okay. We're good. God's merciful. He'll understand. He comes and sees us. We're smiling. We're joyful. We work in a practice that's, you know, it's hard. You know, right? You know, I've been, we've been around for thir- almost 30 years. We've seen most of the practices across the country spring up the great NAPRO practices, fertility awareness centers that do the natural family, you know, the fertility awareness-based methods, natural family planning in the old language, you know, uh, Creighton method, the NAPRO technology, huge, what a blessing. And then you would see the free clinics. But we were trying to do something different. We were trying to blend that and seeing the underserved, because that's what she asked. And I had to be obedient. So when the accountant said, now you got to stop this because you're not making enough money and it's just not. Well, we went not for profit. In fact, we're an almshouse now. And so remember, the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, started hospitals as hospices, usually in guilds that were attached to a monastery or a nunnery throughout the 600s, 800s, Florence, Italy, you think of in the 1000s, 1200, the history of that. St. Hildegard of Bingen, a wonderful herbalist, a mystic, a woman, understood both faith and reason. You know, it's the paradox of our faith. Virgin and mother, faith and reason, body and soul, bread and wine become body and blood, soul and divinity. The paradoxes are all there, and I think the good medical practice is hard. There's always, that's why we called it Tepiac OBGYN. It used to be called Tepiac Family Center. We wanted to build families. We wanted to make them strong. 
Tepeyac, that's the hill on which Juanito heard Our Lady at Guadalupe. Tepeyac Hill. Mm -hmm. That's why I stuck it there, because I'm such a weak link, maybe a missing link to some people's Neanderthal ways when you're in public company sometimes. But no, Tepeyac was there to remind me that that was the first time I, I, I blew them off. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to do Why are you hurting me? Well, give me a break. Mm -hmm. No, it's there to remind me why we do this. And it's to be a light on a hill, a beacon for so many others. That's what she promised. And my gosh, we've seen so many other practices spring up. Not that we were a part of it, but we saw it. We encouraged it. Mm -hmm. You know, with all, you know, Human Life International goes around and talks and speaks eloquently, whether it was, you know, just throughout the history of it. But we're trying to build medical practices that actually implement what is going on here. And I mean fully, meaning seeing fertility as a gift, collaborating with it, never, ever taking it out, always, never pitting mom against baby, always caring for the mother, because if you care for the mother, you care for the womb. And if you care for the womb, you care for the fruit of the womb. It's kind of a natural progression. And then you say that prayer on the beads for a while, and it all makes sense. <laughs> but anyway, so no, uh, it's been hard, but it's been an almshouse. That's the key. When you, when you go nonprofit and you know you can't cover the delta that's out there because you practice excellent medicine, but it's no contraception. It's child spacing. It's no sterilization. It's child spacing. It's education. It's bodily. It's learning the language of your body. That, that doesn't take two and a half minutes per visit. Mm -hmm. And so we're an almshouse. We beg in our community. And this is because I believe if we can do this here, which we have for 28 years through the grace of Jesus Christ, this is like the triumph of the Immaculate Heart and a great act of divine mercy. Because once you see the faith, the tradition, and the scriptural knowledge of the teachings of the Catholic Church, it's both and. You see the, the personhood, the image and likeness, but you also care for the least from Matthew 25. From Genesis to Revelation, it all makes sense. So I left my evangelical brothers and sisters, even though I admire their incredible, they embrace the Holy Spirit without the sacraments. And here we have, we have all the sacraments. We have the mother. They seem to have sometimes the Holy Spirit in that, in that faith walk, the two can come together again to produce Jesus. So it's the best of modern medicine with the healing presence of Jesus Christ in an almshouse where you beg for your money because it keeps you on your knees. So you don't ever get too prideful. And it's a wonderful way for young doctors to work and old doctors who have been burned out to get renewed. That's beautiful. So moving on to the second part of our program, would you be able to yeah. discuss um, as a doctor in OBGYN um, situations, a lot, common argument against a, or for abortion is saying that abortion is necessary in health circumstances for the mother. So could yeah. you speak to that as a doctor saying like, <laughs> why it's not medically necessary? So like, yeah, have you ever encountered a situation where it would seem to be medically necessary? All the time. I mean, not all the time, but yes, it happens. So having a baby is for the most part pretty normal okay like you know women you know women have have children at home mm -hmm. 
and the vast majority of the time they, they, it ha that works out. Your body was made for this, but because of original sin, stuff happens mm -hmm. and people have illness and sin and they get diabetes and hypertension. So I'm going to give you one story and then we'll go and then we'll talk. Okay. In my Catholic hospital, which was one of the hospitals I worked at when I was a resident, second year resident before my conversion, my transformation, my changed heart, Blue Betty comes walking down the hallway with the nun. This woman had no prenatal care. Belly was out to, you know, was it looked like maybe 20 to 30 weeks. She okay. was showing. And she was as blue as my shirt. Wow. Quickly listening, I diagnosed, or at least I thought I had, she had some problem with her pumping of blood. It wasn't getting oxygenated. Okay. And uh, we started bitching about getting her aborted to kill because now we, we began to think that she had pulmonary hypertension because of her blood pressure. And of course, the only answer to that was to terminate and end the pregnancy. So the Catholic hospital wouldn't do it. So we took an ambulance, we stabilized her briefly, and then sent her downtown and I went with her. And uh, we stabilized her briefly again because you know she was dying right in front of us. Mm -hmm. And we aborted her baby through a, a D&E. We crushed it up. Both patients died. We never took the time to do the right medicine to really prepare her for this delivery. Now, that's the reality. Sometimes we don't live in the Garden of Eden. I mean, we always don't live in the Garden of Eden, and so stuff happens. Okay. And so you always, you, so the principles are from my life-affirming approach is you never pit mom against baby. You know, we basically told her, in order to save your life, we have to kill your baby. That was horrible. She probably knew that something drastic was going to happen because she couldn't breathe. She needed an ICU to be stabilized. She needed medical care. <laughs> and when you put somebody in the ICU, you stabilize them. And if she needed real medical care, you use your science and medicine to stabilize her while you do the C-section to deliver the baby. Because you are then not treating the baby as the problem, but you're treating the underlying pulmonary hypertension because you're treating her for all the above. So what I'm trying to tell you is that you always try to get the two patients as far along as possible. Meaning you never pit mom against baby. You always treat the mother first. You always engage the disease process. Never directly, you never directly intend the death of the child. So let's say now in this day and age, because of fear-based medicine, we will simply tell you, you know, you're so sick with your diabetes. It's just going to make you worse off you really should think about terminating the pregnancy now, early in the first trimester when it's quote unquote safest. So whether it's diabetes, whether it's hypertension, remember 99, 98% of abortions are done for just, it's just the wrong time. Mm 
Mm-hmm. There's a small percentage at the end that is there for the life of the mother, incest, rape. The hard cases. The hard cases. But the vast majority of the time, the woman can't quite bring it up, can't, right, can't bring it up. Most second trimester terminations that go to the late-term abortionists, they're not ill. They just kept it a secret too long, and it got the baby grew. That's how sad this is. We've had many women turn their change their mind, leave the abortion, and come to us, either with the first day of maybe they didn't get the potassium chloride to end the heart to stop the heart beating. Maybe they had some. Uh, dilate, you know, dilators placed in her cervix, which we would remove and then put her on bed rest and care for her. But we always care for two patients. So if it's hypertension, you treat the high blood pressure and you get them as far along as you can. And the vast majority of cases, it's long after the baby is viable. We can save babies today 22 to 23 weeks, maybe closer to 21 weeks with good medicine. Because remember, science is still changing when Roe didn't change. Mm. And that's the amazing thing about it now. Now we collaborate with high-risk OBGYNs. Um, there were many young ladies who have gone into OBGYN now, high-risk, that are available for consultation, where you now can call someone and say, how would we manage lupus? How would we manage diabetes with kidney failure? How would we manage a gunshot wound? How would we manage a heart attack? Well, we didn't have those people. We only had one or two of them across the country 30 years ago. We now have a number of them. And so we not only have good people thinking about these conditions, but we have good medicine. And so those hard cases, you deliver the baby when you need to. You don't put the woman's life in danger. Sometimes when they're hemorrhaging, Oh, you just deliver the bait. I mean, you're just trying to get that placenta out because it's the placenta that's the problem, not the fetus, not the baby. But it's the attitude of the child with sexually transmitted disease and it's causing a problem. Mm-hmm. No. Sometimes the pregnancy pushes the woman's physiology to the point where, but it's very rare when it's under 22, 23 weeks. In our experience uh, at Tepiac, We've had many women rupture membranes. That's another, because remember, most of the time we don't argue these hard cases. We're we're now scaring people and saying, you know, if you treat ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages in those pro-life states, you're going to get slammed with lawsuits. Come on. We've been treating women excellently. Not we, but we collectively. Before Roe, during Roe, and after row. We, we're not, we don't target the child. You care for the patient in front of you. If that woman is infected or becoming infected, you gotta deliver the uterus. You gotta get those tissue, that infected tissue out of there. You give them medicine to do that. But you don't do it by killing the baby. No, it's, you know, in, in, in bioethical terms, it's double effect. Yes, we've for talked pra- about that. For pra- oh, great! But for pra- but for practical things, it's I'm targeting the membranes because I have to empty the abscess that's around the baby, and by doing that, the baby will die. Mm-hmm. Hemorrhaging, most miscarriages 
six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, ten, the baby's already dead. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, they make it sound like we're just, no, the baby's heart's already stopped. Once the baby's heart is stopped, you can do anything you need to to get to empty the uterus. It's not an abortion. No matter what the procedure looks like or the chemicals are, it's not an elective abortion. And so they're manipulating the language, Colleen, and that's, it's all fear-based. The enemies, the big lie is that, a, that elective abortion is good health care. Mm-hmm. And so by never pitting mom against baby, always treating the mother first, mm-hmm. always hate the disease but love the patient, you get them as far along as you can, and if the mother is that sick, you treat the disease, and you hug her and tell her how sorry you are that this happened. For instance, the child has trisomy 18. Most cases today, that's considered a lethal, even though the baby's alive as you're talking about it, Mm -hmm. it's a lethal anomaly where the quality of life is terrible and it's incompatible with life. That's an adverse prenatal diagnosis. Well, today we offer people termination, early delivery. Because it's only going to cause you pain and suffering. There's no mean, there's no, you know, it's not even your child. It's kind of a monster. And Or you're doing the right thing, Colleen. You're doing the right thing by delivering it early and just saying goodbye to it and letting it die naturally. Well, we have followed Byron Calhoun's work about perinatal hospice. You treat the womb like a hospice. And if this trisomy really has multiple anomalies where the kidneys are shot, the lungs are shot, the head's shot, no matter how many surgeries you do, it's not going to get better. Well, you allow that family to spend as much time because moms want to spend time with their sick children, Mm -hmm. not shortening the time. How many times did I do it in my past? And they all regretted it. They don't talk about that child. Well, now... You get them all on the same page, and they celebrate the short life. When you're Catholic, they get baptism. They get confirmation. The baby is passed around and celebrated by the family, and it's brutal. It's the mother at the Pieta holding the child that dies because you got to let it go. That's merciful love. That's when you've gone the full course. That's what happens in good medicine. When mothers engage their family at that moment, when you can use the Pieta moment, I call it, as a way of making meaning of suffering and maximizing your time with your sick child. It's a, it's a challenge. This is not easy. But now we, keep, we have to keep talking about miscarriages. Mm-hmm. They're not abortions. Because the word abortion can be applied to a miscarriage, a missed abortion, that's when the baby miscarries, dies, but is still left inside mom. And the mom doesn't, is, good mothers want to hold on to those children. Bodies do. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to help them a little bit or give it some time. An incomplete abortion is when the placenta or a part of the baby comes out, but the rest of the tissue is still left inside miscarrying. A threatened abortion is when the cervix is opening, the baby's alive and it's inside and you're giving her progesterone and you're giving her other sub, you know, hormones to colla- cooperate to try to overcome those forces of original sin. And so we can teach that now 
really faithfully both to the science as well as to the faith. But when you use abortion in that term, you're not using it. No, no. And that's why we, that's exactly right, Colleen. And that's why you'll see confusion. They'll keep throwing bombs. They, you know, you can listen to somebody argue about abortion, but never hear them use the word because abortion is still, no matter how much they try to make it a spa-like procedure, Oh, it's foo-foo. It's now mauve and pink and there's homeo, you know, there's 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 aromatherapy and it's you're doing your duty as a good woman and it's liberating you from the chains of your fertility. The mistake you made, the the guy who got you pregnant who's a jerk, you're being used. You're not loved. And so that dynamic it's glossed over with abortion. They don't even use the word because it's a hard word. It's a word from the shadows. It's a word that disrupts the core between mom and her child. For instance, I used to do IVF, in vitro fertilization, at the Jones Institute, the home of the first IVF baby in this country. What an incredible experience I had. I really admired them. I still admire my doctors who don't agree with me. They taught me a lot. They're good people. These are good people. They just don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. And if you don't witness and if you don't show them how to do it, because they've been in a system that they've only learned this, shame on us. And so in vitro fertilization is where you take egg and sperm, mix it in a Petri dish, try to make a bunch of embryos and put back some to get a few children. It's very important because people suffering with infertility. Well, all of a sudden when I woke up, Once you have the union of egg and sperm, you have the 23 in me. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter anymore whether the mother wants it. Why? Because I know that women who go to IVF, when they freeze embryos, Mm -hmm. there is this incredible cathartic challenge. Are those, what are they? Are they my children? They're my children. But they can't say it. But the depression and the sadness, they might even have a child. And, you know, and once that child is here, you say, congratulations. But when you're in certain conversations, for instance, I'm in the office. You're, let's just say you want IVF. Let's say you've been to Tepiac, You've learned NFP. You've learned the fertility awareness-based methods. We're doing our best to work with your endometriosis. But you grew, kind of grew up maybe in, in a nothing or maybe in a kind of a lukewarm faith. And you're like, listen, I'm just going to go to IVF. They, I, I, I've been, I've been researching it and I know I can get a baby. Okay. I understand. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. I'm just letting you know that the only question you and your partner, you and your husband need, you and your boyfriend need to know, Colleen, is that the embryos they're going to make, are they your children or are they your property? Do you love them or do you own them? And since it's a deep question, I just want you and your partner to think about that. Most of the time, Colleen, it's the questions we ask people, not the answers we give. Do mm. you understand? It's a fine line. I'm sure you've experienced it here. I really think good questions. Hey, if abortion is so good, why don't more of us do it? Mm-hmm. I give that talk at medical schools. A former abortionist wants to keep abortion rare. That's another one. Well, it generates the why question before 
the argument, you know, before the before the slop gets thrown. But that's where we are today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's still about that conversation, trying to talk to somebody one on one over a cup of water or coffee. Yes. Or tea. Well, thanks for addressing those hard cases. I guess, yeah. So in like a medical emergency, is it safer for a mother to deliver prematurely or is it safer for her to get like an abortion? Like, oh, Lord, no. for like the Blue Betty situation. So, so without a doubt, <laughs> once you, so people pit abortion against having a baby. Yes. That's a joke. That's like arguing you take an apple and an orange and you say, oh, well, which one's better? Okay. The data in those first tri- in those first trimesters, you can use inflated numbers and come to, oh, it's safer. Because that's what keeps being told out there. Abortion when you kill a child or delivering a miscarriage at six weeks... I would deliver the live baby every time if I had to. Going in and opening forcibly a cervix and then scraping out the placenta. Remember, when you have... Colleen, I'm going to... For everybody there, you know, if you you don't want to hear this, when you do a first trimester termination very early on, you don't see anything. The tissue just get the little infant is little unborn child is so soft and it just gets obliterated with suction. But once the calcium that you're eating as a good mom and you're taking that extra calcium magnesium for morning sickness or what have you, the bones start forming somewhere around 9, 10, 11, 12 weeks. You got to count body parts after that. Uh. Now, I know... And with the DNEs, as they get bigger, you have to dismember, disarticulate. Mm-hmm. The DNX is where you get to reach in, pull it out to the base of the head, poke mm-hmm. a hole in the back with a heavy pair of scissors, yeah. open it up, pull out the brain, close the, grab the head and pull it out. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, is that when you go one-on-one, mm-hmm. a baby, in both cases, alive, Mm-hmm. Aborting to kill it or aborting to deliver or delivering it through a natural ab- miscarriage abortion, because mm-hmm. it's an elective abortion that we're talking about, forcibly dilating the cervix to remove the contents of the uterus. That is one on one. There's always. And as you get further along, because the intertwining of mom and fetus, mom and unborn child, mm-hmm. at that knit a book layer where the placenta just digs into the uterine wall Mm -hmm. to exchange nutrients and gases and chemicals Mm -hmm. and minerals and nutrition and sugar Mm -hmm. to try to rip that off the wall of the uterus early, Mm -hmm. whether you're using chemicals or whether you're using surgery is pretty significantly bad. I guess. And that's where the hemorrhage and that's where the infection come. Mm-hmm. And But they want to say, they want to scare you because something out there that is the unknown, that's how they conflate things. It's all sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. I guess my question was more for like a woman who's further along where it's one of the hard cases where it's like the life of the mother. Without a Wouldn't doubt, it be more with, traumatizing uh, to have an 
Without a doubt, without a doubt. So I didn't even answer that because it's too obvious to okay. me. Yeah. Meaning, <laughs> meaning you treat the, like, that's what we do. I mean, yeah. I used to, in, in a high risk, in a good residency program where you see a lot of high risk, mm-hmm. remember 99% of those women want to keep their babies. Yeah. They're not like running in to get abortions at that late stage. We deliver them mm-hmm. by section or vaginally. Mm-hmm. We, we we do a good history. We do a good physical. We do a good testing. We figure out what's going on with the mother. <laughs> and so, no, 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 no. You're you're spot on here, Colleen. Okay. It's there is no like there's not even a comparison. I guess I was just thinking for our listeners who are going to run into no. the argument of like, oh, in the hard cases, abortion needs to be absolutely an option. not. Okay. <laughs> it's it's really it's because what happens is is that it becomes that is almost nonsensical. Mm-hmm. But people because say it. they do it all the time, but you just have to understand that you know they may have gone through a termination themselves, and they are hurt, mm-hmm. scarred. Because once again, you don't win these arguments about medical truth, mm-hmm. because that has passed. It's really in that moment. That's why we need pro-life OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. That's why Divine Mercy Care is going to try to recruit and encourage and shepherd and accompany and walk with that's what we've been doing for 20 years now since we we started divine mercy care initially was there to raise money for tepiac to help them cover the delta mm-hmm. well we're still doing that that's important but now with this book to patients we might get people to be thinking about oh my god how could we do this well the medical decision is meant for the hospital or the clinic you when you're in these conversations, you have to engage at the heart level because this is not an intellectual argument. They're going to say things and, well, I have my truth, you have your truth. You get nowhere. It's really just, oh no, I know many doctors who would never, who, oh, it's so much easier and so much safer. Well, then who's going to take care of that child? You work with social services and hospitals and isn't that going to cost money? Well, it can, but if this baby is as sick as you say it is, it'll die pretty shortly after birth. Well, will it? Well, no, that's what nurseries are. That's what high-level nurseries are for. Mm -hmm. You begin to go back to the humanness of the child. Well, what happens if the child is born and then you don't want it? The same argument you're using now, you're going to kill it then? That's another harder one but you know sometimes you're just doing this going back and forth at a college and you know this person is theoretically throwing out everything to you mm-hmm. and there are wonderful people in the pro-life movement who have really good arguments where you can just walk people through this we're really trying to do it in in the sciences and in medicine because the american association of pro-life OBGYNs, mm-hmm. elective abortion is never medicine especially in a healing art that's so true. And then just kind of jumping into the one that always gets used, ectopic pregnancies. Could you just mm. explain briefly why that's not yeah. technically yeah. an abortion in the ter- way that pro-abortion advocates no, try no, to make no. it? Sure, 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 sure. So the vast majority, so an ectopic pregnancy mm-hmm. is when the little munchkin, um, because of usually tubal disease, mm-hmm. I mean, I think your audience understands there's a birth canal. Mm-hmm. At the top of the birth canal in the woman is a cervix. The cervix is the garage door to the womb, the uterus. Mm-hmm. At the top of the uterus are two little highways, tubes, 
that go about three or four inches, maybe five in big cases, all the way to the ovaries. Mm -hmm. And there's ligaments that hold all this up. And the ova, once a month, uh, usually when you're having most of the mucus in your cycle, which is what fertility awareness-based methods, they can identify your day of ovulation about 30% accurate, but they can really narrow it down to those few days. Mm -hmm. And the methods are excellent today. Thank God. Uh, you know, we have uh, this group called FACTS uh, that is just tremendous with Dr. Marguerite Duane. That's excellent with understanding this. But the the egg comes from the ova, mm -hmm. from the ovary. It gets released. Um, the, the husband and wife have relations. Millions of sperm start getting into the cervix where they're being fed by the mucus. They're kind of waiting. And then a few of them will kind of shoot up into the uterine cavity and then get into the tube. If there's no ovary there. If there's no egg f rolling down the tube, mm -hmm. they die. The sperm die. But if it meets in the tube, the egg, egg and sperm come together. That's in the two-thirds to the end of the tube. That's where conception occurs. That's where fertilization occurs. Mm -hmm. It takes about seven, five to seven days to get down the tube into the uterus. But guess what? Sometimes there's scar tissue from infections. Sometimes the, the little hairs are, are kind of out of sync. And all of a sudden, the two, four, 10, 50 cell embryo, the blastocyst, starts growing in the tube. And the placenta starts growing in the tube. Well, there's not a lot of blood supply to the tube. But what does a placenta want? A placenta just wants to keep the baby alive. Mm -hmm. And so it'll start growing. And the tube will, and you begin to have spotting. The woman has pain in her side. But it's very similar to other things. So you need a really good doctor to look at you, examine you, use some testing with blood tests to figure out where is this new person growing at first it's only the chemical you follow so it's a challenge the vast majority of the time the baby's already dead because the lining of the tube is not once the baby's dead what it's not a it's not an elective abortion in rare cases there is a heartbeat and i'm telling you i have had phone calls from emergency rooms all across the country where a young resident's going, hey, John, I've got this, oh, it's terrible. My heart's breaking, but we need to fix this. So there are many ways to treat this. And a lot of times people will just, and this is morally challenging. There's good people mm -hmm. on both sides of this issue. And you have the principle of double effect that you're trying to pull into play. Well, well you, you have, it like, is. That is no, the, that's exactly, not pull into play, oh, no, no, Colleen, you're exactly right. <laughs> You have to have that in your sight, in your in your soul. Mm -hmm. You have to be so comfortable, but so reverent, because you're now you're walking on holy ground again. Mm -hmm. So in our case, we remove the diseased tube mm -hmm. with the baby inside. Now some people are trying. Well, can you maybe transfer it to the uterus? Still in its infant stages. We don't do, I, I don't do that in regular OBGYN. I'm leaving that for people who are much smarter and the research areas. So we remove the tube with the disease in it. Mm -hmm. And we're finding out data-wise that that's a pretty good thing to do. Because in some cases, we have to make the incision. Mm -hmm. You just open the tube up 
above on the side that's not connected to the blood supply and you use high water pressure to pop out the fetus that's alive. Mm -hmm. I've done those in my past. I don't do them anymore. That's the one it, that's morally questionable. Well, or yes, morally but, wrong. But, sure. Right. But it's such, well, it's a lot of gray once, area. <laughs> once again, this is really, but once again, the enemy will, it's a lie. Our father in heaven is a liar. That's what Eve and Adam thought. That's the original sin. Can't trust him. He's not good enough. He wants you. He doesn't want you like him. It's a lie. The big lie in medicine today is that abortion is good medicine. And they're going to use every word like abortion without elective or therapeutic. Because they can't even speak the word. They're just trying to call. Oh, no, it's just part of abortion. Well, no, it's not. It's elective abortion. It's when you directly intend the death of the child. And that's why many women out there just realize if you were, if you had an ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. and it was taken care of either way, God understands. Because once again, you're not always in the hands of a doctor who sees this. And ectopic pregnancies are life-threatening. Mm -hmm. This is where, this is still... When you look at maternal mortality, the deaths from ectopic pregnancies rupture are very high. Now, God has a sense of humor about all this. And I'll tell you a story of a young woman who came to us with a, with a baby in the tube almost three inches across. It was probably 15 weeks. Wow. And we really told her that it's incredible maybe it, it was incredibly dangerous and she says no god's going to take care of me and we tried to get her this was like life-threatening she was already bleeding and she said no she went up to johns hopkins many weeks later and delivered a healthy baby no i know god is a funny dude he constantly reminds you that what you think in medicine Whenever you hear, oh, science is settled, <laughs> political, it's not, it's not science. Scientism might be settled. I believe in science. I don't believe in God. There's got to be a rational answer. I don't like mystery, whatever. That's what's so heinous. But some, this lady, now I've also delivered another pregnancy, another ectopic. We didn't know it. She showed up late from another country back in my residency delivered, labored her, nothing happened. We opened her up. Her uterus was about this big and the baby was sitting in her intestines growing from the blood supply of her intestines. Wow. We delivered the baby. We closed off her body. We gave her some chemicals, went back in and resected her colon. And she's a healthy mom today. Once again, that's rare. But sometimes people think, you know, once again, it's a lot of arrogance on every, you know, it's a real challenge. And that's why you go and walk humbly before your God, especially as a doctor. But the basic principles for an ectopic is you treat the disease tube. Mm -hmm. And the baby sadly is caught in that. And for right now, we can't save that child. But great question. But and you don't target the baby. You target well, the tube. No, like, because the mother, it, uh, you know, moms, yeah. 
they're so saddened because they really wanted the child. It's really loved, mm-hmm. you know. And that child's going to die. And that's that, that's that art and science and the love of Jesus. The best of modern medicine with the healing presence of Christ. And is there any um, advice you have for pro-lifers who want to get involved and like proactively help women, anything they can do to? Oh, yeah. So uh, what I would say to that is, number one, um, if you feel called into medicine, providers, PAs, um, researchers, nurse practitioners, midwives, physicians. So I'm speaking to your audience, and I'm assuming that your audience are believers. If you believed you're called into medicine, called, and yet you're reading how we're being persecuted or we're getting betrayed, we can't get licenses, it's getting hard, we're spreading mis and disinformation. But if you feel called, if you feel called and you believe that the Lord has called you, you better be obedient. That's all I can say. There are enough of us out here. You can, you can email divinemercycare.org, tepiacobgyn.com. But there's many of us, American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, Catholic Medical Association, Christian, Christian Medical and Dental. You can contact us because we need you. Can you imagine a world without any pro-life OBGYNs? Back many years ago, when there was emergency contraceptive problems, one of the political candidates in Massachusetts said, Catholics need not apply to become ER doctors. You're hindering access. Ladies and gentlemen, we're there. So the first thing is I'm going to talk to you young, budding doctors, nurse practitioners, midwives. You can do this. Colleen, they can do this. We can accompany them. You can accompany them. We can pray for one another at least. But to whom much is given, much is expected. Divine Mercy Care's target audience is this group of young people. Mm-hmm. We, we need you. Not just in OB, but in medicine. Yeah. We need principled, articulate, smart, generous, loving, kind. People who can listen to patients mm-hmm. and not just stamp out their fertility collaborate with that language of the body. We need this. We need people who are principled in biblical principles. So that's the first thing. That's who, that's the real audience. If you're burned out as a doctor, we understand because we were too. There's a better way. Contact us. Thirdly, if you are pro-life, please think about going further than you already have. If you're contributing money, think about volunteering. If you're volunteering, think about welcoming young women into your home. If you're welcoming young women into your home, think about the bigger picture, maternity homes. What are you called to do? This is the issue of our generation, even though people are going to say it's inflation. And it's still raging, folks. Dobbs just put it back to the states. Thank God for Dobbs. 
thank God, what a win. But it's still an opportunity to not only talk about this issue, but to actually act on this issue. It's Galatians. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You, you gotta you have to move from the yes of the cave in Nazareth to the visiting of your elderly pregnant relative. You gotta serve. You gotta get to the visitation. That's the principles that we've been using to help them get to Bethlehem. So you can see the shepherds and the wise men be drawn in, the wise women drawn in. And I really think that when you do say your rosaries, folks, think about this issue. It's right there. It's really about the triumph. And when I go talk and talk to the young people, just like you do, it's really about the triumph. And so I encourage you, and I'm going to pray abundance upon your audience today. Come Holy Spirit and fill us. Become instruments of the Holy Spirit in this pro-life work, life-affirming work. And so I just thank you for letting us chit-chat. Thank you so much for coming. It's been such a pleasure having you on this podcast. Oh my gosh, it's been, um, it's it's just been a delight for me. Everything worked out perfectly. <laughs> um, I think it did. And uh, I'm grateful for you because you've made it so easy. That's the part that, uh, um, and it's really, it's for me, it's a, it's a retreat to come here to the headquarters. Because remember, I remember when the headquarters was in Gaithersburg. And I've been watching from afar because as a doctor, what you produce is spot on. What your education is, is spot on. And we just need to learn to work closer together to build that net of support and care and compassion. Because remember, mercy without what you do and without what I do leads to the abortion mill. Mm. That's Flannery O'Connor. She said mercy leads to the gas chamber because she was thinking of 1944. Mm -hmm. Now it's 2022. And the words are now floating around us. Mm -hmm. Without what you do, without what we do, mercy leads to mercy killing, which is eugenics, which is abortion. False mercy. But we say false mercy, but But they don't. Correct. The world doesn't. And so that's why you need compassion rather than empathy. And so, and you need the truth, and you need real love because it's really God's mercy. That's why we called it divine mercy care. Because you finally get to the point where it's just love that's going to save you. Because you're so shamed and so broken inside. And the vacuum cleaner and the, 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 the Dyson makes you just... For instance, and I'm, I'll end with this because I ripped apart a box and it brought me back to when I ripped an arm off a baby. Because it jerked my chain because it turned sideways and I was going to be late for dinner. And so I just ripped the arm off to unbleed it so I could bend it to get it out. This just happened a while. This is what I'm talking about. This is love. Because now when I'm sad, it's about the mercy of Jesus Christ. It's not about shame anymore. It's like freedom. So you've done this for me just by being here today. So I, I know I am spoke too long, but I just wanted to thank you so much. And God bless you and your audience.
Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And um, to everyone who's listening on YouTube or Rumble, please remember to like, follow, subscribe. And to everyone listening on our audio platforms, please share this with your friends and subscribe for weekly content. And keep on living the culture of life. God bless. <laughs>